what does becoming a record breaker require? How do we go further than anyone has gone before and leave a legacy of mastery? How do we push the limits of what's possible and elevate craft to the level of art? Bulgari's new podcast, Be Maestro, is answering these questions with a series of exclusive interviews. Together, we'll uncover the unique paths that extraordinary individuals forged when achieving the seemingly impossible. Each guest is a master in their field who has made a mark on time. Be Maestro, a Bulgari podcast inspired by the record-breaking spirit of the Octo Finissimo Watch Collection. Time stands still. You're listening to the Be Maestro podcast. Since 2000, Nico Romito has been running the Restaurant Reale in his native Abruzzo. In just seven years, this self-taught Italian chef has earned three Michelin stars, a record. He is now leading the Bulgari's hotel restaurants in Beijing, Dubai, Shanghai, Milan, and Paris. His personal culinary language combines balance and taste, excellence and creativity. For him, complexity in cooking can be beneficial, complication never. Simplicity is the cardinal principle of Nico Romito. Hello, I'm Nico Romito. I'm a chef. I have three Michelin stars in Italy, in my restaurant Casadonna in Abruzzo. And I manage the food on offer in the restaurants inside the Bulgari hotels in Shanghai, Beijing, Dubai, Milan, and, since a few months, in Paris. Buongiorno, Nico. We are at the brand new Ristorante Bulgari Hotel Paris, where you lead the cuisine. We are in France, but also a little bit in Italy. What does being Italian mean to you? For me, being Italian means belonging to a system of values, traditions, and history that define and illustrate the cultural heritage of my country. I feel very Italian, and my cooking is also deeply Italian. It's creative, but at the same time, it's also a memory. Italians will completely recognize the flavors in my dishes. And I hope that foreign people can recognize Italy. For me, like for other Italian people, eating well is almost a given. Italian grandparents and families cook so well, drawing almost unconsciously from our very rich regional traditions, which are handed down through the generations using high-quality standard products. Italy is extraordinarily rich in terms of nature and culture. The small towns, the Apennines that split the country perfectly in two, the islands and the sea create many microcosms that are all completely different to each other, yet similar. They are connected by their unique approach to life, food and well-being. Have you always wanted to become a chef? Tell us your story. I'm smiling here because my work started by complete chance. I was dreaming of a career as a financial broker. I've always liked numbers. I like studying business models. I'm fascinated by economic variables. 
But sometimes life chooses for us. When I was a few exams away from graduating, my father passed away. He had a restaurant in Rivisondoli, the town in Abruzzo where I was born. So I decided to sell it. I went to Rivisondoli, ready to negotiate with potential buyers. Instead, I never left the kitchen. My beginnings were defined by improvisation and survival instincts. In some way, it was also the need to move the reale forward. I never even thought about it. I had no hospitality qualifications, but I'm self-taught. I chose this path. So my curiosity led me to spend every free moment in the pages of a book or to sit at the table in one of my colleagues' restaurants rather than another's. I take great pride in this, in the fact that I did it to create Casa Donna and Reale, the restaurant within Casa Donna, after years of sacrifice. In just seven years, you have earned three Michelin stars. How was your journey? It was very personal, very family-based. I had a blank sheet on which I had to write my story that evolved, bit by bit. When I started, I never would have imagined to get where I am today. But today, it's just like 20 years ago, only with a bit more awareness and important expertise and knowledge, and a clear vision. I can't imagine the last chapter, but I'm writing it right now. Because cooking and food are a continuous discovery for me. You lead a lot of restaurants, an academia, a laboratorio, and tons of innovative projects. What does your daily life really consist of today? I've learned to find time to give space to creativity, in particular, as well as reflection. Free time and breaks from work let me reflect more on being creative. Doing better with less, this is what we try to understand here. Does it ring a bell to you? Less is more. That's a concept that I really understand. Perhaps the most difficult thing in my work is taking things away rather than adding them. To take things away, you have to know and be aware, be able to really understand the ingredients and, in particular, where I want to take the taste of the dish. I always say that the aim of my cooking is simplicity. Simplicity doesn't mean boring. Simplicity means a synthesis of complex actions to get an extremely clean taste. My dream, I remember many years ago, I was invited onto a TV show. I'm talking about more than 15 years ago when people were crazy about complex dishes, where the more ingredients you put in, the more it seemed like and it's still the case today, the more it seemed like the dish was done well. At that time, a journalist, who is no longer a traditional journalist, but a very fine, sensitive journalist, asked me, as well as other young chefs, Nico, in your opinion, what's the benchmark of a dish? How should a dish be made? I was a bit scared, really. 
because I had to give an answer, and I thought a bit about how I saw the culinary system. I said to him that my dream was to create a dish with one single ingredient. He then looked at me and smiled at me and said that what I said was wonderful. But he said, that's one of the most difficult things you can do, because making a dish that's complex, elegant, and correctly done, that has the right rhythm, the right sequence of food, the construction to make sure the dish is pleasant, that it's interesting, is extremely difficult. It means you need to know that ingredient as much as possible and give it a soul, give it strength, give it depth. So, less is more is my life philosophy, it's my work philosophy. Can you give us an example? Yes, I've spent almost 20 years trying to create a dish with one ingredient that's the only protagonist of a dish. I've done extraordinary work with vegetables like cauliflower. In my restaurant, I serve a dish called cauliflower gratin, which is just cauliflower. It's a dish that represents my food philosophy. I'm thinking about artichokes, aubergine, onions. There's a liquid obtained only from onions, without any water, but it can be like a broth, a classic broth with added water. But I made this liquid with the same thickness as water, but with no water. I didn't know what to call it because there was no gastronomic term that defined this technical concept. I call it assoluto. Today, this word is used a lot in Italy by young chefs when they use this type of approach, and they use this term to describe this type of preparation. You have also reinvented the way to cook the cotoletta alla milanese, because for you, less is more. What is your recipe? Cotoletta alla milanese. Cotoletta alla milanese. This work, this research on this dish started five years ago, when I started collaborating with the Bulgari hotels. The idea for the Bulgari restaurant project came from a very clear concept. We decided to create a culinary model that told the story of Italian cooking, starting with the big classics but modernizing them with my philosophy, my mind, my work, my idea of where cooking needs to go. And of course we took the most iconic, the most well-known dishes outside of our nation. And one of these dishes was the cotoletta, a breaded cutlet. In regard to the traditional recipe that says the meat has to be flattened, it's covered in egg, then breadcrumbs, and then fried in clarified butter. That's the traditional recipe. I first of all worked on stabilizing the cooking of the meat. This costoletta is first steamed and then rests for three or four days at four degrees. This means that the steaming process, the controlled cooking, allows the juices 
to remain perfectly inside. Resting for four days means the juices are perfectly distributed inside the meat. So every inch of this meat will have the same structure. After this, once this preparation phase is done, the meat is put into a liquid made from water and rice starch. So, I don't use the egg yolk or the whole egg for breading, but this rice starch instead. And once it's gone into this mixture, which creates a grip, the meat is breaded. So, the meat is cooked, then the final thing is to fry it for a minute on each side and then serve. So, what happens? What's the final result? Those who eat it realize that the tradition is perfectly respected, but they realize that this meat and this dish has gone on a modern and different journey in terms of the animal proteins, in terms of the taste, which is much cleaner and less greasy and much tastier, healthier and easier to digest. You said that the most difficult thing in the kitchen is not to add, it's to take away. Why? That's difficult. To remove things, to reflect, you need to be very consistent. The hardest work, in my opinion, for a chef is always having a clear, consistent vision of where you're going. A lot of the time in the kitchen, there are moments when you remove something, when you work in subtraction rather than addition. For some audiences, it might seem like that work hasn't been done well and that it's very simple work. So I always say to lots of young people that they need to build their own identity. And of course, when you build your own identity, there will always be someone who will criticize you because they don't recognize something they might like in what they see. But building your identity and professional consistency is one of the most important things for success. What kind of discipline did you have to respect to attend to reach your goals? Having three Michelin stars, being a chef, means using your creativity. Of course, bringing numbers together and making them talk on one side, and on the other, being creative, can seem contradictory because entrepreneurs tend to look at profit and creatives tend to look at creativity. I'd say today I'm fortunate because being my own boss and being a chef requires creativity. So, if you ask me if I feel more of a chef or more of an entrepreneur, I'd say I feel like a chef and an entrepreneur. This means that with my business, I invest a lot in research, equipment, in specialized human resources, and so creativity is the key player in my business. And the business profits thanks to this work on creativity. Who are the men and women who inspire you? Any mentors? The inspiration sometimes comes from entrepreneurs and artists who do different kinds of work. But if I have to link to my own sector, I'd say the French school, some French chefs. Firstly, Alain Ducasse and Joël Robuchon were examples for me. They were benchmarks, reference points 
because starting with their cooking and their style, they had to create a business. But above all, the thing that fascinates me is the cultural work they've done. They have taken French cooking outside the region, introducing it to the whole world without compromises with their well-defined model that came from their own region. In this podcast, we also seek to understand what it takes to push past your limits. How did you manage to go beyond your own? Going beyond your limits is... If I think about my journey over the course of the last 20 years, every time I did something, I thought it would be the last thing I did because I couldn't think beyond it, going beyond my limits. I think that on one side, I think there's something really born inside, this will to raise the bar, this will to grow, to succeed in doing something that may look difficult on paper. So raising the bar means succeeding in having a vision and having courage, but especially it's a balance between being a visionary and being pragmatic. Does a chef need to wear a watch? Yes, clocks are a metaphor for time. Clocks are key for controlling the rhythm, the seconds, the beats in a day, and knowing how to be perfectly organized for the schedule and for the time you have available. Every day is made up of 24 hours. Part of the day is for resting, part of it is controlled for organizing everything. So time management is essential for carrying out a series of projects and especially for creating a system for all the people working on your project. So time is key and therefore so are clocks that give structure to the time that's passing. For me, clocks have to be very simple. Hours, minutes, the date, that's it. Because it's enough to read these three basic things so that we can mentally plan out managing what needs to be done. Clocks are essential. They have to tell me the schedule, the date, and the seconds in real time. If a clock has these three functions, then it is ideal for me. Could you live without cooking? I have dedicated my whole life to cooking. And I wouldn't be able to think of my future now without the world of cooking. In a broader sense, cooking is life. Food is life. It's what we do from when we're born to when we die. It's the only thing that we will never abandon in our journeys. Nutrition, eating, survival through food. So food is life. And cooking is also life for humanity. You've been listening to Be Maestro, the Bulgari original podcast. Join us in our next episode to unveil the secrets of those who make their mark on time. Ciao a tutti.